Hey, Dee, guess what I saw somebody buying at Aldi last week? I don't know. An orchid? No, that's a very good guess because they sometimes have them. Moms. Moms? They had moms. Yeah, the moms are showing up all over the place. It seems a little early. <laughs> it's Well, in Indiana, it, it is if you want them to bloom all fall. But this lady came out. She must have had a dozen in her cart. And I said, oh, seems early for moms. <laughs> and I said, are you planting those in the ground? She says, well, I don't know if these are the kind that live. And I looked at her and I said, those are the kind that will live if you plant them in the ground now. And I thought, do you ever give unsolicited gardening advice, Dee? Oh, yeah, I do. And people always look at me like I'm completely crazy. And then I say, "Yeah, Google my name. I really do know what I'm talking about. And then they follow me around. So I've kind of, I've decided I'm not going to give unsolicited gardening advice unless they're buying a fuchsia in spring because you can't grow fuchsias here and it makes me mad that uh-huh. they sell them. Anyway. But it is it is interesting that people don't realize that perennials, if you plant them early, they will survive. So we'll put a link to the great article I wrote for Family Handyman about that. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, then let's get going with this episode. Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana, where I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. It's about a third of an acre. And I'm Dee Nash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on several acres out in the country. We call ourselves Garden Angelus because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want others to love it too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and right now, especially even the ugly. <laughs> but that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Good morning, Carol. Good morning, Dee. How grows your garden? Well, it's a mess. My garden is a mess. You leave for two weeks and it's 103 degrees. Nobody wants to get out there. So yeah, I worked all day on Saturday and I got overheated because it was really hot here on Saturday. It was only 96, but it was hot. So I didn't drink enough water. So this is my PSA telling people, be sure and drink enough water. That is a good PSA. One, you know, you should take breaks and drink. I I would say in hot weather like that, every 15 minutes isn't probably enough. No, it's probably not. And I should have, I should have come in more, but that's okay. I'm fine now. Um, in my garden, we're doing general cleanup and deadheading so that the fall garden looks good in September and October. I also put down Happy Frogs soil conditioner in my potager after I pulled out the dwarf sunflowers. So it's basically compost because I'm thinking about growing a few, you know, a few fall things. Very good. I did a couple of big weeding sessions in my garden, in the vegetable garden. So it's looking pretty good. And then I realized it's kind of like I started at the one end and went to the other. And now like two weeks has passed. And I was like, I need to go back to the other end. So this morning I I weeded my strawberries. That mulberry weed loves to be in that strawberry bed. Ugh, mulberry weed is the worst. And I also, I did pull out all the squash plants. They looked horrible. And I thought, well, there's still a few blooms, but they looked horrible. Mm -hmm. So they're in the trash because they're just a big squash magnet at this point. So I have a very clear bed and we'll talk in the garden commissions about what I'm going to do in that one bed. That's it. That's what I got going. You said they're a big squash magnet. You meant a squash bug magnet. That is exactly what I meant, Dee. Thank you. Because if if they were a squash magnet, you'd be happy. Exactly. But alas, at this time of year, if here they're already dead. But for people up north who don't have squash bugs as bad. 
It's time but for I'm, them to go. But I'm seeing a lot of summer flowers, and it is remind or late summer flowers, I should say. And it is reminding me again that a season's going to season, and it's going to, you know. Mm-hmm. So that leads yeah. us to the first quote. Summer's lease hath all too short a date. William Shakespeare. I don't know if people in Oklahoma would agree with you after having 103 all summer. But, um, yeah, I'm kind of, I, I have mixed feelings about it. I'm kind of glad in a way. So today's flower is. It's not really a flower. It's a type of garden called a crevice garden. Right. And we we read Margaret Roach's article about it in the New York Times. And she was talking about a book which is the crevice garden, how to make the perfect home for plants from rocky places. And you said it's all the rage and it is all the rage right now. Yes. Yeah. You, you basically, and they, they take like big slabs of rock and stand them up on end and create little crevices or maybe like a little slope up a hill or whatever. Yep. And you create little crevices and then all those little tiny plants that people like me are attracted to, but no, they won't live forever. That's the perfect home to stick all those little things. And you probably saw quite a few in Great Britain when you were over there. You know, that's funny you should say that. I have seen them in previous years because RHS Whistley has a huge crevice garden and they have a huge alpine collection. And because they do, they have tons of this stuff. Um, Our friend Matt Mattis also likes to garden with alpines, although he does more of them in pots. You know where I actually saw some of them? I saw them in Colorado. I saw them in Colorado a lot because I call Colorado the land of the little flowers because everything they grow seems to have very small flowers, very small blooms. I mean, that's what an arid, you know, arid climate would support, right? So um, you wrote in here a great place to grow those tiny little plants we all fall in love with. And I said, I don't fall in love with them. I think they're expensive. Hard to grow and die easily. That's my experience. Well, that that is true. And that is why Carol doesn't buy them. The only plant that I can think that is close to a crevice garden plant that I have is I have a little tiny dianthus, mm-hmm. which I kind of know where it's at in the garden so I can see it in the spring. And I think, you know, <laughs> <laughs> one one false step and I could take it out and it wouldn't be taken out in a crevice garden. But you're right. They're... They can be, the alpines can be very expensive plants. Mm -hmm. The Rock Garden Society, uh, we should find a link to them because they probably have a website. People join that and then they want these little plants and. um, Because they're cute. I mean, I think. They're very cute. I think people like them because they're cute, like little pets, but they're like little pets that die regularly, at least in my world. So um, I think the closest thing I would have are some of my sedums that bloom. And yes. every spring, um, like right now, I just weeded around my sedums where a bunch of stuff got in my rock, you know, my rock pathways. And anyway, they're kind of, my sedums were kind of overwhelmed by everybody. And then in the spring, they get overwhelmed because we get big rains in the spring and big rains in the fall in Oklahoma. We get about 35 inches of rain. People think we're arid, but we're not. Um, we just get it all couple of times a year and so you know in the summer those plants do okay especially if you have a rock garden spring and fall you you may lose them so a lot of people get very sad and then 
Another plant I'm thinking of are the ones, I'm not going to remember the name of them. It's like aeoniums or something. It's the ones you see all over California. Monty Don has all of his in pots on a table. They're kind of rosette-shaped. Is it aeoniums? I may be saying that totally wrong. Anyway, those are also really popular. And my theory is the reason the Brits like alpine plants so much is because they live in a normally wet climate, and it's like... We all try to grow stuff that's outside of our zone. Climate. That is true. And I tell you, uh, Margaret wrote the article because there's a book out, a new book on, obviously, The Crevice Garden, How to Make the Perfect Home for Plants from Rocky Places by Paul Spriggs and Kent and Seth. And uh, we'll let our listeners go out to the link and they can read the description of the book. But these guys, you know, they're it's all about the crevice garden, which is like the new big thing. D, actually, I have a crevice garden of sorts. You do? Yeah, it's the cracks in my patio. <laughs> and I, I have those too. <laughs> so I have, uh, I actually have uh, petunias that have seeded and come up mm-hmm. in a couple of cracks. Yeah. I have a Nicotiana that I let grow in a crack that's flowering. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, I have a little hosta in a crack that's growing and blooming. It hasn't bloomed, but it's been growing. It's been there for a couple of years, and I just kind of let it go. And, you know, some people think, well, it might ruin the patio. But I I saw a picture on Instagram. Our friend Marianne Wilburn went to um, Great Dixter, ah. Christopher Lloyd's garden, mm-hmm. and she had a picture of the patio there, and they let stuff grow up in the cracks, you know, self-seed, because you just – you just never know what's going to come up. Mexican now, feather grass is a, one that comes up here a lot. Now, if if you purposely tried to plant something in the crack in the patio, it, it would immediately, no, it would die. <laughs> it would die. It would die. Because <laughs> I've tried it. I've tried it in pathways. You know, all those charming pathways where they show the creeping thyme and, or the woolly oh, yeah. thyme. I did all yeah. that when I first started gardening between rocks. And every one of them died. Remember when the steppables came out? And that was that whole series of plants that you could put and supposedly yes. you could yeah. step I on s- them. No, you really can't. I still can't. see those. They, I still see those. Yeah, I still see in them the too. the big box. Yeah. Yeah. They don't really work. But anyway. So anyway, that's our flower. The crevice <laughs> gardens is kind of all the rage and neither one of us is going to take the trouble to create one. But it is something that if you're into the little mini alpines, the things that like really harsh environments that you would otherwise uh kill kill uh you might be interested <laughs> you might so enjoy that and let us know how it goes by the way exactly. i met with a client last week her name is barbara and she said to tell to tell you that she loves listening to us because number one she likes the fact that we're like yeah stuff happens and sometimes you can't keep it alive and that's okay right yeah and she says you sound like her aunt because her aunt was from oh. indiana so there you go. There you go. There you go. Want me to do the next quote? Of course I do, D. You don't even have to ask. If it grows together, it goes together. This is Mashama Bailey, the chef, but she says it's a saying. I like this saying. Yeah. I like it a lot. I'm thinking, what's growing together? And so in my garden, I guess it would be green beans and tomatoes grow together. And corn. And corn. And corn. And pepper. And when she was doing this, she was making succotash. She was making fresh succotash, so she had corn, um, lima beans, which would be fresh right about now, and she had peppers, and she had tomatoes. 
in her succotash. Yeah, that would be good. It would that be would good. be good. I kind of want to eat it. All right, so this is today's um, topic is about veggies you can direct sow in fall. Exactly, and there are a lot. And so we're going to do the disclaimer. I may or may not direct sow these this fall, <laughs> but I know that I could start some lettuce, <laughs> spinach. Uh-huh. I actually might start some spinach, kale, which I never really get around to eating the kale, so it's just sort of pretty. But there are ornamental kale you can kale. buy right now. I think kale's don't beautiful. don't eat ornamental kale though. It's, it's grown, isn't it? yeah, it's not very nasty. good. <laughs> not that I've ever eaten it, but I'm just like the idea of it. Radishes. I do think I'm going to sow some radishes because I like fresh pulled radishes. French breakfast is my favorite. Yeah, it's a good one. Turnips, beets. You could also grow onions if you've got onion seed that you've started. Or if you want, if you could find onion sets, you could definitely grow those in Oklahoma in the fall because we have a long season. Um, now, let me just say, here in Indiana, we may or may not have a long fall season. I mean, we've waited until early November for frost. We've also got hammered at the end of September. So you mm-hmm. you need to look at the back of the package and say days to maturity. And so if it says... 75, probably out of luck in Indiana. And you probably want to, you also want to cover it. You know, you probably want to have row covers, which are not hard to do. Although I always laugh when I see row covers in magazines because they always show them looking so nice and neat. But in Oklahoma, we get those prairie storms coming down and the wind will just blow those row covers right off. So you definitely have to weight them down on the sides with bricks. Um I would say that spinach is one of the things that grows better in the fall in Oklahoma than it does in the spring. Right. Most of the time. Right. It needs that cooler weather, and sometimes we get a very hot time, you know, in the spring. Sometimes. This spring, we were super slow, and I could have grown all the spinach I wanted. So, you know, just keep in mind that it may work, it may not work. And sometimes it's better to go ahead and start some of the seeds inside and then set them out. Um like lettuce, but you don't have to buy lettuce already growing for you unless you just want to. It's pretty easy to grow, but you see it at the box stores right now. You see lettuce, kale. What else do I see? I haven't been to the box store lately, so I don't know. I'd have to go. Well, and the, but radishes, turnips, beets, the root crops, definitely just start those from seed direct in the garden. Mm -hmm. There's no you know, I always kind of laugh at people. I don't think I ever see radish seedlings in a little I've tray. never seen radish seedlings. I see weird summer things that you shouldn't, you know, set out, like squash and stuff like that in the seedlings sometimes, which that's sometimes. in summer. Um, I thought of another one, Swiss chard, my most hated vegetable, which I get tons of from the co-op, so the CSA. Huh. And you don't like Swiss chard? We have talked about this before. No, I do not like Swiss chard, but I keep eating it because like, it's good for me. I just wanted to hear it again. <laughs> you just wanted to hear me go gross. I really don't like it. Now, if I can mix it with other stuff like kale and spinach, yeah, it's fine. It's just it's just not my thing. So I, I can totally understand that. Mm. Let me go to the next quote because that's really all we have that's for all veggie. We, have to we say. will put a link. I'm going to put a link to Botanical Interest. They have a nice article or two about fall sowing mm-hmm. um, that would suggest some of the things that you could sow in the fall garden. And then we'll report back next week if any of us, either of us, do it. <laughs> <laughs> we might not. We're pretty lazy. Okay. So, uh, do the next quote. 
I admire anybody who has the guts to write anything at all, and that is E.B. White. I'm with you, Mr. White. Charlotte Webb. Yep. I'm with you. It's not easy to write. We'll be the first ones to tell you that. It's not easy to write. So, we have Bloom, The Secret of Growing Flowering Houseplants Year-Round by Lisa Eldred Steinkoff, The Houseplant Guru. And it is a good little book. I just read the part on Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter cacti. And why they're cacti, even though some people don't think they're cacti, they actually are cacti. And I read about uh, poinsettias and amaryllis and some other stuff. It's coming up because it's about time for us to start buying those, almost. Yes. And I also, we just both got review copies of this book last week. Um, Dee, this is a lovely book and there is so much good information in here. Mm-hmm. She does start out with some of the basics because you can never assume that everybody knows how to grow stuff. And she gives a couple of good tips right off the bat. Number one is flowering plants need more light than generally than foliage plants. Which totally makes sense, more light. right? And it takes a lot of energy to produce a flower. So they may need a little bit more uh, fertilizer. Yes, and they probably do. Um, I also liked how she talked about putting contain, making sure your containers have a hole in them because a lot of house oh, plants definitely. that you buy do not because they're in what's called a cash pot. And uh, orchids are a perfect example of that. And then she shows you how you can create a, drain, a drainage hole with a diamond-tipped or masonry drill bit, which Bill and I have done before. Sometimes you will break your pots, but... You know, it's worth it to try. And then... It is worth it to try. And I have done that. I like how she talks about cold water and how it can damage leaves, if you're not careful. Yep. Um, also, chlorinated water yep. is a big deal, too. And I, th- I think it's a really... It's got some great information. Yes. So, for every single flowering houseplant that she lists, she talks about the light requirements, uh, what water they need, what the flowers you'll get. This is a nice little bonus too is how to propagate that plant because we all want more and then whether or not it's toxic to pets which is if you have dogs or cats around the house um they all the pictures she's she's done all the pictures with herself and her family and friends and um when you read the acknowledgments i was just touched by how generous plant lovers are she got a lot of um assistance from people in different societies and from her family and from professors and this is book mm-hmm. is from Cool Springs Press and Jessica Walliser was her editor and apparently everybody loves to work with Jessica. Well, Jessica is a very nice person and a smart person. So, um I would I would work with her too. And so is yes. Lisa. They're both nice people. I'm looking at the problem I have on my plants right now. What's that? My indoor plants, they have mealybugs. Does she address mealybugs? I'm sure she does. She does. She does. And let's see. She says, please send a message and I'll pray for you. Yeah. Wipe mealybugs off with a cotton swab dipped in rubbing alcohol or if you have to use neem oil or an all-season horticulture oil or insecticidal soap. Um, I also really, really, really rinse them off, you know? Yeah. Rinse those babies off and wipe them off. I had a mealybug problem probably 15 years ago, I remember. An infestation. I mean, it was bad in that sunroom. Mm-hmm. And I finally ended up taking like the three worst plants and just ditching them. 
mm-hmm. and then everything else was was fine. But it was you just couldn't get rid of them. Just couldn't. Get well, rid it's of them. really hard to get rid of them when they're in the root system, and so you have to replace all the potting soil and. Yep. You know, wash off the plant. I mean, it's a lot of work. So what I sometimes do, because I don't usually get them in the root system, but every once in a while, I take them outside and I just drench them outside. But remember, my water's cold because I have a well. Yeah. So I don't have the chlorine problem, but I have the cold water problem. Anyway, good book, great information. I'm keeping it. I'm keeping it too. And I think the, this is one that I think my sister should buy for her daughter-in-law, who's very much into houseplants. I don't know how many flower winning ones, but if you know somebody, you buy them this book and you pair it with a lovely uh, blooming African violet or an orchid. Mm-hmm. She's left several orchids in there and you have given them a gift that they will certainly appreciate. I think it would be a great gift for your child's first apartment. Or yes. a great housewarming gift. Because when your children move away from home and they're used to having plants in the house, I wouldn't know what that's like. Um, anyway, they they miss them. So yeah. it's a good it's a good good gift. Very good. So that is Bloom, The Secret of Growing Flowering Houseplants Year Round by Lisa Eldred Steinkopf, the houseplant guru. And I think the book actually comes out on August the thirtieth. So that is a little bit after this podcast episode comes out. So you may need to pre-order it, which is fine. The crickets felt it was their duty to warn everybody that summertime cannot last forever. Even on the most beautiful days in the whole year, the days when summer is changing into autumn, the crickets spread the rumor of sadness and change. And that's E.B. White from Charlotte's Web. I like that, don't you? Well, I love Charlotte's Web. It's one of my very favorite books. And I thought, well, crickets aren't grasshoppers, but I thought, let's give Dee a quote about things that jump. Okay, so do you, well, the crickets don't bother me at all. They don't jump like grasshoppers do. But no. the funny part is, is I was in a meeting, and there was a cricket in the meeting. <laughs> and Chiming came, in? <laughs> no, it was just traveling around the room, and it was kind of driving the person I was in the meeting with crazy. Were and I almost offered to get a cup. No, she just didn't want it to jump on me. And I was like, it's not going to jump on me. It only has one leg. But it needed to either be <laughs> let outside or let go. One of the two. Anyway, <laughs> not, my, say, not my cricket, not my office. Crickets so. don't normally have one leg. This one just happened to have been <laughs> one-legged. Right. There was something seriously wrong with this cricket, but he was still very determined and he was on the move. So speaking of on the move, our dirt. This week, you found. Yes. So it's an article about how traffic slows down when there are wildfires around. And I thought this is pretty good. It's from a town in Great Britain. So we should have done this with last week's England episode. But anyway. Well, we're and always thinking of England because we like England. So People okay. just go speeding by and they were going too fast through the village. Mm-hmm. And they didn't plan the wildflowers to slow down the traffic, but they decided to plant some wildflowers where the road entered into the village. And they realized that people were slowing down because there were mm-hmm. flowers to see. And so that was a nice benefit for them planting wildflowers. And I was thinking about that. You know, there are a lot of places where you really wish people would slow down. And if there were wildflowers planted more places, A, it would be good for pollinators and the environment. And B, it would slow people down. All so good. it's interesting that you brought up this piece because this morning I was watching CBS News 
And they were talking about a town in Indiana that has put in all traffic circles. It is down to one stoplight now. And it's a suburb of Indianapolis. And don't ask me what the name of the town is because I didn't know I was Carmel, talk about Indiana. It. It's Carmel. It is Carmel, like Carmel, Carmel, like in oh, California. Yeah. That's- anyway, <laughs> they have planted a ton of wildflowers in those traffic circles. Did you know that? Some of them. Some of them. I've been up there. It, it drives you crazy because there's, there isn't any, you just, you know, you know, if you're not used to traffic circles, don't go to Carmel and just start driving around. But it is interesting because there is just one traffic circle after the next. Well, you know that that's exactly how um, Great Britain is. They don't have yes. a bunch of traffic lights. Yeah. They have mostly traffic circles. So um, yeah. the thing is, is we have a couple of them in Oklahoma and there's some in Missouri, especially up by Branson. And people really don't understand how to drive with them. So it, it is a little confusing for people It is. Here. There are more now. I live, Carmel's on the way north side of Indianapolis, and I live on the way south side of Indianapolis. And so we have some traffic circles, not near as many. It's kind of like everybody says, oh, you're trying to be like Carmel as soon as they put in a traffic circle of some kind. But they well, I guess in two states, they have to look now before they put in an intersection in New York or I want to say Virginia, they have to at least look at traffic circles because I guess people don't idle their cars as much, right? So it doesn't burn as much gas. Yeah, they don't idle their cars as much. Exactly. So it doesn't give as much pollution, as much gas does provide Mm -hmm. an area for planting uh, trees, wildflowers, whatever. But here's, here's the problem with them, not the problem. So there are some intersections, which I would say are tight. There's not, you would have to take out like the house on every corner in order to put in a traffic circle. Right. Because it takes up way more room. And so, you know, I've read some proposed for the town south of me, Greenwood, where they're like, that would wreck my property. So no, (laughs) I don't want a traffic circle here, you know. They aren't practical everywhere, but where they are, cool, I guess. Yeah. There, it is okay. interesting to drive up there. <laughs> Sometimes they you like miss their your traffic little, circles. You go round and round the circle, just yes. like on the cartoons. So anyway, that's yes. that's our dirt. Let me do the next quote. We should all do what, in the long run, gives us joy, even if it is only picking grapes or sorting the laundry. Also, E. B. White. I I won't say that sorting the laundry gives me joy. And I don't really want to pick grapes either. So there you go. But Although you can, you can go to Portugal. If you want to pick and stomp grapes, they have packages where you can be in the Douro Valley and you can be part of the grape harvest. It's a big thing up there. But when Cause they still stomp them at, at some of the, some of the wineries. Well, he's just saying it's not nece- It's like sometimes the mundane things. I get it. Give you joy. Yeah, I know you get, <laughs> I get it. it. <laughs> so I just don't want to do those. All right. So what are you, what's your rabbit hole? Because so I don't really have one. I, was, I didn't go too deep into rabbit holes this week. I did. I am reading another book about a fictional Channel Island this time during the <laughs> yeah. early days of World War II when it was occupied by German forces. Um, yeah. Which would reminded me about how much we talked about Sark Island last summer. And it's one of the uh-huh. last places where you can really see a dark night sky and the stars are really, really bright. So right. that always makes me think I should know more about like 
astronomy and the stars and the constellations, and I don't. But anyway, the book was called <laughs> Appointment with Venus by Jared Tickle. And Venus, by the way, is a cow. So this island, and it's like of 300 people, has been taken over by the German forces. And right. the German commandant, turns out he's a dairy farmer before the war. And he recognizes mm -hmm. that this cow, Venus, who's about to have a calf, is like a very, very well-bred cow. And so he wants to have it shipped back to, to Germany. To, right, because they, they took everything. And the English want to get it off the island because it's like the last, and the, the bull that impregnated this cow was dead, is like the last of a great line, and they don't want to lose it to the Germans. So this is the story of rescuing Venus off this island occupied by Germans. So that's got some basis in fact, not the Venus part of it, but the cow part, because there was a whole line of cattle yes. that the Germans either took them or killed them. And I can't remember what the deal was, but they don't know. They don't exist anymore. Yeah. Because, so I'm sure that's yeah. where that guy got this idea. Yeah. So anyway, I'm about halfway through and uh, I don't want to give it away, but <laughs> cause I'm like, I'm really halfway through, but, that was, I just, all all roads lead back to Sark Island, D. Yeah, and you can't really drive a car there. So. A, a place I had never really heard of until last summer. Yes, until we started talking about the Channel Islands and stuff. And I don't even remember why that one, why we got into that one, unless that was to do with the, um, the you know, Duchess of Devonshire. Probably. Oh, probably. Probably. It's probably what got us started. So it is a rabbit hole after all. So my rabbit hole this week isn't much of a rabbit hole, but I've been trying to find something to read that'll keep my attention, but not be as deep as what I'm going to read for the Well-Read Mom Book Club. And so far I'm reading the first Aunt Dimity book. I accidentally ended up with the third Aunt Dimity book. I have no idea why. And started it. And so I already know what happens in the first Aunt Dimity book to some extent, because she kind of ha has a little reiteration of it. And I was like, why is she telling? Oh, I'm in the wrong book. Anyway, I'm half, I'm over halfway through. And so far, it's okay. I, you know, I'm not in love with it. No, but that, that reiteration of the story, she has to put that in every book because you just never know. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm familiar with series books. All right. And so the Garden Commissions this week. So, Dee, tell us about your commission. I'm going to take cuttings this week because I'm writing an article for American Gardener magazine. And it's to do, I think, the day before my birthday in September, which is the 7th, is the day of my birthday. So, I am going to write this article and Claire's going to come take pictures of me taking cuttings. And since I'm doing it, I'm going to keep them alive outside of the greenhouse because it's still too hot. And then I'll put them in the greenhouse. So... That'll be kind of a pain. But, you know, the things we do. The things we do. Like I have three uh, old yogurt containers with different concoctions of apple cider vinegar in my sunroom, hoping to catch fruit flies for mm -hmm. a simple article for Family Handyman, which, you know, they're like, can you do this too to see if it works? I'm like, okay. It does work. I know it does. But you know what works the best? Because I've done it for years because I have trouble with them in the early fall. A container that has holes stabbed in it that are, you know, tiny so that they can go in and can't get back out. Yes. Number one. And the best vinegar is apple cider vinegar. And the ones, the really 
um, not refined versions, the ones that have the mother still in there. Yes. Those yes. seem to work the best because I've actually done this. Before. And I, so mine has, I have one with just plain apple cider vinegar, one mm-hmm. with apple cider vinegar with a couple of drops of dishwashing liquid, which kind of creates that. That breaks the surface tension. Yes. Right. And then with uh, apple cider vinegar, sugar, and dishwashing. The, has it made a difference so far? Well, first of all, I don't, I had a fruit fry, uh, a fruit fly fungus gnat problem in the spring. I don't have the problem right now, so I haven't caught anything. So get some bananas and then I, you'll have a problem. You know what? I, I <laughs> laid a banana next to it and I'm like, come on, banana, attract the. Attract the fungus gnats. I need it for my article. That's funny. So what else are you going to be doing this week? So because I cleared off that space for the squash, I think uh, a little bit I'm going to head off to the greenhouse to get some cabbage and broccoli seedlings and just give them a shot shot and see what happens. Um, And then, of course, I have to keep weeding and deadheading. And like you said, you want to make your garden look nice going into fall so that at least the weeds are gone. And I'm intent on eradicating every mulberry weed out there. They won't be gone here. I have so many mulberry weeds. We talked about mulberry weed last year is the worst weed ever. It did not, it came from Asia and it's just not a good thing for American gardens at all. It it loves American gardens. I said it's not good for them. No. And I do (laughs) want, it does love them. I do want to give a shout out too because, um, and I hate to end on this down note, but they spa- found more spotted lanternfly in Indiana, which oh. is a very horrible pest that kills trees and stuff. And So you got to kill every one of them you see and yeah. report them. And I was on a call last week with somebody in Pennsylvania where they're like devastating trees. And he said, the problem is people think they're pretty and they don't want to kill them. And I'm like, that's not going to be a problem here. I'm killing them. Yeah, so we should give a shout out that everybody who sees one of those, there hasn't been one in Oklahoma yet, but you guys, it's only a matter of time. And I'll put a um, link in the show notes kill to an article, a uh, Purdue put out a little bulletin article. Yes, kill them. Kill them they dead. are not pretty. They're bad. Um, okay, and then I, I have a question about your cabbage and broccoli. Do you have as much trouble with um, the cabbage moths in the fall as you do in the spring? You know, I was thinking about that, and I will confess in all my years of gardening that I haven't really tried the fall-planted cabbage and broccoli, so I don't really know. It'll be interesting. Um, Okay. So we'll see. Um, I have not either. I have not either, so I'll be interested. We are pretty lazy. No, we're just really busy. That's true. Well, that's it. We want to thank you for listening to The Garden Angelus. I hope you've hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. We publish every week on Wednesdays at 12 a.m. Eastern Time. And I hope you're not up listening at 12 a.m. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review that helps us get noticed by others. Could you also share our podcast with your gardening friends? Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. And be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And subscribe to our new Substack newsletter, The Garden Angelus at Substack.com, which is also linked to in our show notes and gives you a much broader view of what we talked about. It's much easier to read, and it's funny because Carol's funny. Yeah, thank you, Dee. And if you want to help support us, use those affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we are a small commission and it costs you nothing. 
It was lovely to chat with all of you over the Garden Gate today. Bye until next week. Bye, everybody.